Hello and welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Framework Podcast. I'm your host on today, Jamie Hopkins, and we're going to continue this conversation about retirement income planning with Denise Appleby, uh, somebody who I've gotten the, the pleasure of seeing speak and present before, been on webinars. So, Denise, really excited to have you on the show here with us today. Um, it's great seeing you, at least virtually right now. I, I think you were out at at least one conference earlier this year out speaking again. Yes. So welcome back yes. to the world, right? <laughs> Uh, welcome back. And I'm looking forward to this conversation because I'm going to be honest with you. I hope I don't disappoint you. I'm not used to having this kind of conversation. You know, it's usually about what the tax law says, what's the tax law that. So (laughs) hopefully it's great. Yeah, well, we'll get into some of that fun, that that fun tax law world, too. So don't <laughs> worry, we'll, we'll cover that, too. Uh, so one of the things I always like asking guests on the show is about food. Um, so we ask everyone that comes on, what's your favorite food item or what speaks to you about food? Oh, my God. Well, I'm Jamaican. So I love me some Jamaican food. You know, if you ever go to Jamaica, you have to get something called rundown. It's um like salted mackerel steeped in coconut milk with veggies and stuff. It's really good. Is it like, what's your go-to kind of Caribbean Jamaican meal? Curry chicken. Okay. Curry chicken. It's really good, you know, and my curry chicken is the best that I've ever tasted. And most people agree, except my husband, because he thinks this is better. But But does everybody else agree that yours is the best one? Um, the kids try to stay out of it and (laughs) they are the ones who eat what we cook. So it's just me against him. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. Keep the kids out of the, the, you know, curry chicken debate. Yeah. So our producer Broderick, who's on, he, he, he tells me that his fried chicken is the best out there, but I still (laughs) haven't had it yet, but eventually I'll have it and I'll put the, that debate to, to rest. Fried chicken is one of the hardest things to cook. Yeah, it's hard. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I felt like I got okay at it for a while, but I, I don't make it as much anymore. I do a lot more, um, f- like, I, I'll do fried fish. I made fried fish, like, two nights ago. So I like that, actually. Better for the kids. It's a little yeah. easier. It's faster. So makes less of a mess, too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's talk with, about this kind of topic on retirement income. And, you know, how did you get interest in like the retirement world and the tax world? Because you probably weren't an eight year old out there saying, you know, I really want to start learning about retirement distribution rules and tax laws. Right. That's not yeah. not real common for young. No, children. no, no, not at all. And, and don't forget, I'm from Jamaica. So um, when I came here. And I got a job with a firm called Pershing, one of the largest clearing firms in the country, in 1997. It was March, so it was the height of the tax season. And I was hired for a department called the ACAT department, which handled ingoing and outgoing transfers. And the IRA department was short-staffed because it was hopping then, you know tax season and they borrowed me <laughs> and I took <laughs> to it like a fish to water and they never sent me back and I, I fell in love with it but I, I have I have that personality where I like to be as self-sufficient as I can so whereas everyone was okay with um, this is a general response and go talk to your tax advisor I was intrigued 
And so I read everything, IRS publications, the tax code, everything that I could get my hands on. And, and very quickly, I became the go-to person in the firm. Even the legal department was coming to me with questions. And uh, that's how it started. I love that. So what brought you um, so from kind of your upbringing in Jamaica into financial services, right? Was there a first story around money or uh, that that kind of piqued your interest? Yeah, I, I worked at one of the national banks in Jamaica. So when I came here, I started looking for jobs at banks. And I worked at uh, Fleet Bank for six months and then PNC Bank for, for six months. But the pay was crap <laughs> and the work was <laughs> terrible. You know, customers would yell at you at one point. I, I was working in Newark, Newark, New Jersey. And when I started working at PNC first, I was in a, a place called Preakness in Wayne. You would see like two people coming to the bank for the whole day in Preakness. And those people were rich and they would be very nice to you. And then I got a, I, I was part-time there. And then I got a full-time job with Fleet Bank in Newark. And it was quite a culture shock. Those people would yell at you, you know, <laughs> I'm not a crier. I, I pride myself on not being a crier, but those people made me take a break and go upstairs in the bathroom one day and cry. And then I washed my face and I came back down and I never cried at work again. <laughs> That's a tough thing, right? When people, uh, they don't see the person behind, right? Like they weren't looking at you as a person then, right? It no, was, uh, no, no, because, yeah. you know, usually they're, they're nice, right? And they liked me. But on a Friday evening, when they want to go get the groceries, and their uh, employer didn't send in their their payroll deposit. It's not me, but hey, I'm right there. I'm the one that they can yell at, and so they yell. And sometimes they'll come back in Monday morning and apologize. You know, uh, after a while, I got used to the fact that they're not yelling at me. They're yelling at the situation, because these people, most of them, are living from paycheck to paycheck. So it's hard when you come there to collect your money. And it's not there because your employer didn't process payroll. What have you seen uh, kind of as, I guess, a cultural difference between the way we look at retirement in the United States and in Jamaica, right? Like, Because you've got a very, like you said, like there's not a lot of retirement tax uh, professionals out there that have that perspective, right? That's true. Um, my experience in Jamaica was you didn't really think about retirement as a stage in life. I don't know if it was because at the age that I was at that time, but you just go to work. And then I was born in Kingston, but uh, I came of age in the rural area, St. Thomas. And most people that lived there, uh, you just live and you got old and you live off the land. So there wasn't anything about, oh, man, my, my retirement income is going to run out and I don't know what to do. That wasn't an issue because even my aunt that I grew up with, when she needed food, yes, she would go to the town and buy, uh, you know, like beef and stuff. But when she was ready to cook, cook curry chicken, she would go into the backyard, grab a chicken and just you know, chop off that chicken neck 
<laughs> and pluck the feathers yeah. <laughs> and cook curry. And then her husband would just walk down to the to the beach. And next thing you know, he's coming back with a whole bunch of fish. And as far as uh, like carbohydrates, they would plant stuff like that. You know, you seen both, right? Mm-hmm. And you heard him talk about the yam and how that helped to make him strong. Yeah. Well, she she would go in her you know, backyard and just dig up some yams and cook it. So everything almost was in the backyard, the chicken, the yams, <laughs> fish. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a very different, uh, I actually have a friend who uh, grew up in Jamaica and she's actually closer to my sister, but one of my friends too, her name's Rain. And she ended up uh, getting a scholarship in swimming at uh, University of Notre Dame. And she uh, learned how to swim in Jamaica, actually swimming between two piers. Um, and so that, at least the story that I was always told about it was the Notre Dame coach went down there and watched her literally swim between these two piers and was like, yeah, we'd love to have you come to the team. <laughs> and like, it's a, you know, it's a very different uh, pathway. <laughs> but I, but like, I love that one. Right. And Rain's an yeah. awesome person. And, you know, uh, she's, she married a guy here too. And uh, yeah, they're, they're a great couple. So it's uh but it's fun to hear those stories, just a different yeah. path. So let's uh, let's dive a little bit into, uh, I think, an uh, area for you that you're kind of well known for is uh, especially on the required minimum distribution side. And I'd love to just get your take on, you know, if you're if you're dealing with like clients that a lot of advisors are dealing with, they don't like mandatory distributions, right? Like, it's just, you know, why am I have to take this money out? Um, what do you think is a good way for people to talk to clients about required minimum distributions? Like, have you thought about, like, how do you start the conversation? What's a good way to bring it up to clients and just to get into the conversation? Yeah. You know, part of what you, you don't want to do, if you have that relationship with the client before required minimum distributions, you want to start that conversation maybe five, ten, ten years before that, because there are going to be individuals who don't mind taking required minimum distributions because when they retire, that's time to start drawing down, right? Because that's what you were saving for. Maybe you're no longer working, and so now you're going to be taking money from the nest egg that you've been accumulating over your working years. And for those individuals, they don't mind taking RMDs. They welcome it. Of course, they don't like the fact that now they're going to have to pay income taxes on it. But there are some individuals who don't want to take RMDs because they already have enough resources or they might even still be working. And so you have to start a conversation early. Are you one of those individuals who would prefer not to take RMDs? And part of what you can do to avoid that is to do Roth conversions. So you convert your traditional IRA to your Roth IRA, you include it in income, and Roth IRA owners are not subject to RMD, so there's no RMD. Of course, there's the issue, though, of the fact that when you do a Roth conversion, you are going to pay income taxes on any pre-tax amount. It, it makes sense then for the financial advisor to partner with the tax advisor to determine whether or not a conversion of a specific amount would be ideal for the client, or even if it's a suitable strategy for the client. You know, like everything else, financial retirement, there's no one solution that's suitable for everyone. So you do a Roth conversion analysis and see whether or not it's suitable for a client. Now, that's a long way of getting to your question. Someone has to take an RMD. 
how do you start that conversation? Now, IRA custodians are required to notify clients, but sometimes they don't see that because if they're like me, you get the statement, you say, oh, <laughs> yeah. you know, you put it aside. <laughs> Unless or you look at page one and say, how did the market do? And you don't look at anything else. But you got to remind these clients that uh, one of the benefits of saving in non-Roth accounts is that you defer paying income taxes on those amounts. And then it, it's time to pay the piper when you reach age 72, right? Now, you, you have to let them know that there are deadlines that apply, there are formulas that apply to calculating RMD amounts, because if you make a mistake and you don't take the amount that you're supposed to take, you're going to owe the IRS a 50% penalty on any RMD shortfall. That's a pretty steep penalty. So you want to get in front of that and help your clients meet their RMD obligations so that they avoid so let's hop on. The, I'll follow up on that one. So uh, let's say you're working with a client or a client comes in that hasn't been taking their RMDs or missed them. What are some of the recommendations and kind of the process that you would tell people to follow through that? Right. Like there's a form we can file and, and tell us a little bit about that. Part of being a great fiduciary is helping your clients understand their full financial picture, and it should be no different for your life. Do you know what your business is worth? Get your firm valuation today with our free valuation calculator. Whether you're looking to share equity with your team, buy another firm, prepare for an exit, or just simply want to see the market value of your business, visit carsongroup.com valuation to get started. Yeah. So usually when I get that call, mm -hmm. someone's frantic, right? Because as you know, my clients are financial advisors and other advisors. So when I get the call, it's from a panicked advisor saying, this client's yelling at me, saying they, they, they owe a 50% penalty, even when it's not the advisor's fault. You know, like my story I was telling you earlier, frustrated mm -hmm. clients like to yell at who's <laughs> in front of them. <laughs> and so the, the advisor would call me panicking. And I would say, calm down. Hang on a second. It's not that bad. You know, let the client know that there's a solution. The IRS says if there's a reasonable cause for missing the deadline, then they'll waive the penalty. All you have to do is file IRS form 5329 and include an explanation. And the IRS, in my experience, have never rejected a request to waive the RMD penalty, except that one time when a CPA didn't fill out the form correctly, because it's kind of hinky right there. The IRS really need to improve that. It's unclear. But um, once the CPA fixed it, then everything was yeah, fine and after do, that. Uh, do you usually uh, talk about like not sending in the penalty? Because I think they give you that option, right? You could pay the penalty then or wait till their, they get back. <laughs> yeah. Once upon a time, I think it was before 2013, I might be off on the year before 2013, you had to send in a penalty mm -hmm. and ask for the waiver. And then the IRS would send it back. How yeah. silly was that? So it's a lot of work for the IRS and me out of my money, you know, because I'm sending in a penalty. And then the IRS realized that it didn't make sense. So now they changed it. If you're asking for a waiver, do not send in a penalty, right? The only way you'd send in a penalty if you're asking for a waiver is if the IRS comes back to say, we're yeah. denying your request. So, uh 
let's talk about what are some other, you know, that's one that's obviously scary to people, right? And to some degree, the policy was supposed to be scary. A 50%, you know, penalty is scary. Um, What are some other mistakes that you see clients making out there when it comes to distributions? Let me tell you something. The R&B penalty pales in comparison to some of the stuff that I've seen, right? One of the things that are going to happen with your retirement account, your IRA, let's just say IRA, keep it simple, is that it's going to move, right? You don't like your financial advisor anymore. You don't like your financial institution anymore, or you just want to change. Whatever the reason, you are going to move that IRA to another financial institution. Maybe there's a merger or, or maybe the IRA owner died and the beneficiary now takes over those assets. Here is a mistake that I often see that can be quite costly. There are two ways to move your IRA, a transfer and a rollover. Now with a trustee to trustee transfer, the assets are paid to the receiving financial institution for benefit of the IRA. So it would say IRA, FBO, Jamie Hopkins, ABC company as custodian. That means you can't cash that check, Jamie. There's no tax reporting on that. So you don't report it on your tax return. That's the way you want to move your IRA. The second way to move your IRA is where you take a distribution and then you roll over the amount within 60 days of receipt. So that's reported to the IRS and has to be reported on your tax return. Now, here's the problem with a rollover. You can do an IRA to IRA rollover only once during a 12-month period. And a lot of people are not aware of that. I think in 2006, a tax attorney uh, named Bob Rowe made the mistake of doing more than one IRA to IRA rollover during a 12-month period. Guess where he got the information from? IRS publication 590. Told him he could do it. So someone at the IRS is looking at his tax return saying something is wrong. You can't do two of these. And they disallowed one, which means it had to be included in income. And he appealed. And the IRS, he, he appealed to the IRS and said, but I based my decision on the, the IRS publication. I mean, he appealed to the tax court. And the tax court said, you rely on IRS publication at your own peril. So what this means is that when someone is ready to do a transaction with their IRA, they have to talk to a financial professional who's proficient in that area. What are the consequences? Just a few weeks ago, I had a case where someone had an IRA that was valued at $3.5 million. Now, when you move your IRA as using the rollover method, the idea is, yeah, I'm taking a distribution. Yes, it's going to be included in income. But when I roll it over, I adjust that on my tax return and show it as a distribution that's non-taxable. So it is going to be excluded from income unless you break the one per year rollover rule or make some other mistake like missing the 60 day deadline. So now my client calls me because they have a client that's sitting in front of them crying, thinking they had a non-taxable transaction, but because they broke the one per year rollover rule, now they have a distribution that's taxable of three and a half million dollars. And the problem here, Jamie, is that you have 60 days to complete a rollover, right? And the IRS has the authority to, to waive that 60-day deadline in certain cases, but they don't have the authority to waive the one-per-year rollover rule when you break it. 
So you want to avoid that at all costs. You know, everyone's paying attention to the market now. Market's going up, the market's going down. And when it goes up, we're all happy. And and when it goes down, naturally, we're not so happy. And, and I'm, I say to my clients all the time, you know, there are things that are so much worse than a beer market. Trust me when I tell you, having a conversation with a client saying, the market went down 20%, at least you can pull out the the, the statistics, you know, the S&P history and say, look, mm-hmm. it's gonna come back in five, 10 years, you know? But when, when someone breaks the one per year rollover rule or misses the 60 day deadline and don't qualify for a waiver, or when a beneficiary just inherits a $10 million IRA and wants to move it to their financial institution and moves it thinking they can move it as a mm-hmm. distribution and roll over, but they can't, only the transfer applies there. That is a very hard conversation to have because there's no coming back from that. Yeah, those are tremendous ones, right, that uh, are scary because, you know, sometimes you can think of those, you know, once in a year one, and maybe the first one was $10,000. And then the second one was three and a half million. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, and, and it, it comes from being impatient because if if I get upset with my financial advisor, you know, I might want to move my money right now. And when I use a trustee to trustee transfer method, it might take a couple weeks or even longer, depending on whether it's an ACAT or non ACAT transfer. But if I'm unhappy and my bank is across the street, mm-hmm. I want to walk over there and get my check and bring it back. Now, when you tell the bank teller, that you want to move your IRA to the other financial institution, they're not going to say, oh, you should do a transfer. They're going to ask you, what do you want? You're going to say, give me my money. Here's a distribution form, sign it. The bank teller is not having that conversation with you about the consequences of taking a distribution as opposed to doing a transfer. Because when you sign as an IRA owner on that line, authorizing that distribution, you are admitting or you're telling them that you have already consulted with your tax advisor, which we know is not true. You know, (laughs) they just want their money. But the the financial institutions protect themselves by having you sign all that, you know, legally Mm -hmm. stuff saying that you have gotten the tax advice that you should get. Hey, everyone, this is Broderick, producer of the Framework Podcast. We'll get back to the episode in just a minute. But first, I wanted to tell you about an exciting event that you won't want to miss. From September 13th to 15th at Carson's Excel Conference in Las Vegas, we'll be featuring episodes of Framework in front of a live audience with an amazing lineup of guests that includes National Soccer Hall of Famer, Abby Wambach. As a listener of this show, you know that financial services is changing rapidly. So if you're looking to evolve in 2022, then be a part of our revolution. Register today at excelconference.com. Change starts with us, and the transformation begins at Excel 2022. Now, with all that said, let's get back to the episode. Denise, are you still seeing um, on the bank side, this was right when that rule changed. That was the scary part, was, you know, really on the bank side. At, at that point, they were having, you know, I, I don't know if they fixed that in the most parts, but remember when the CDs were maturing and they would kick out that check back to people, right? And then a lot of times they would just go back and redeposit it back into the IRA. Do you still see that occurring much now or have banks kind of fixed that distribution part of the maturity stuff? Because like 
it, that was kind of an issue right when this was changing. Yeah. And, and this is where um, education and awareness is very important. The people on the front line at the bank are usually, they usually fall into that category where there is high mm-hmm. turnover. So they don't have that experience and the knowledge that comes with it. I'll tell you a quick story. I took my mom to the bank and uh, she's doing one of those CDs. And the, 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 the person who's helping her was a CFP certified person. You know, they were the expert at the bank and they had her sign a form that says she's going to roll over the CD every, every six months. No, I don't want to say, you know, you can't do that. So I tried, I pushed her gently. I'm saying, are you sure it should be a rollover? And she'll say, no, I'm a CFP. I know what I'm talking about. And I, I don't want to say, do you know who I am? <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't want to... <laughs> I'm joking. You know, but, but I, <laughs> I held my ground and she eventually called the back office. Yeah. And, and after she hung up the phone, she sheepishly said, I, I guess you're yeah. right. So the, the bank's, do have people who know, but you just have to push back if they're giving you the wrong information. And you too, as a consumer, have to empower yourself with the knowledge or work with a financial advisor who knows, you know? Yeah, I, I think this is an area where, you know, a lot of times the general, if everything just goes smoothly, it's not that complicated. You got an account, if you have one IRA, one 401k, and you just divide that by your life expectancy that the essentially the IRS is giving you, it's kind of straightforward. If that's it, you're okay. But there's so many detailed versions of this, right? Like that's that's one. But as we said, all of a sudden account CDs are maturing and they're sending you a check. And you're supposed to roll it over and it's six months CD and you can't do it twice in a year. OK, that's a problem. <laughs> you know, um, there's moving accounts just between places complexity. There's also um, and maybe we could talk about this one because I, I love this rule, which is the the still working exception one, which is a very complicated one for a general person mm-hmm. to even mm-hmm. know. It does it apply to me? What accounts does it apply to? Um, so maybe we'll cover that one a little. You you, you feel excited about that one? <laughs> I feel excited about that one because in some of my presentations, I, I cover cases like that, and you'll see people having to pay 20000 20, 50000 even more in penalties and excise taxes. So here's what you're talking about, right, what you're teasing. If you take a distribution from your retirement account before you reach age 59 and a half, that distribution is subject to a 10% additional tax unless you qualify for an exception. Now, the complication comes in. First, you got to find out what those exceptions are. Then you got to determine, does this exception apply to my account? Because some exceptions apply to 401k type plans, employer plans. Some apply to IRAs and some apply to both. And the one you're, that you're talking about is a prime example called the age 55 exception, which says if you have money in a 401k or other employer type plan and you stop working with that employer in the year you reach age 55 or later, any distribution that you take after you stop working for that employer is automatically exempt from the 10% early distribution penalty. Now, here's where a lot of people make mistakes, and there are a lot of tax court cases <laughs> for that. They roll it to the IRA, and then they take it from the IRA. So when they file their tax return now, Jamie, they don't pay the penalty. Mm-hmm. And so the IRA custodian is going to tell them, right, 
the IRA custodian tells the IRS by issuing a form 1099-R and in box seven of 1099-R, they're gonna put a code one. Now code one says to the IRS, Jamie takes a distribution, Jamie's young, Jamie owes you 10%. Now these people push back to the IRS saying, no, I qualify for the age 55 exception. And many have even taken the IRS to court and the court sides with the IRS in those instances saying, yeah, at one point you qualified, but you know what? When you move it to your IRA, you lost that exception. So the lesson here is not only for consumers, but for the advisor who's having the conversation with the consumer. Sure, you wanna roll over your, your 401k with me. Let's talk about if there are any risks to doing that, including are you giving up a qualification for the 10% early distribution penalty. Now, part of what they need to do to Jamie, it's not just about the penalty. You gotta look at a client's 401k statement and see if they have after-tax amounts in their accounts or employer securities, because then that presents additional opportunities for tax reduction strategies. Yeah, that, then, then we could be looking at the NUA strategies. We could be That's looking right. at separating out the after-tax to the Roth. Uh, and so the other one, I will keep in that realm of the kind of moving assets at the end of working. There's at 72, we've also got the RMD exception if you're still working and not the 5%, more than 5% owner. That's one. That's another one with a lot of, uh, I'd say, similar thing, right? What account are we looking at? When are we testing that age? Complexity around it. So uh, how about that one? And where do you see, you know, I, I think we're seeing more and more people continue to work to later ages. So that one's probably becoming more valuable than it ever has been before. Yes, but, but but here's the risk. A lot of people are aware of the age 72 exception. And what that exception says is if you have assets in a, a retirement plan that's not an IRA-based plan and you're still working, then you can defer starting your RMDs past age 72 until you retire. However, it does not apply to anyone, everyone, right? Uh, first, if you are a 5% owner, which is the case with anyone who has a solo 401k, you got to take your RMD. That does not apply to you. Also, you got to check with your plan administrator. That option to defer RMDs past age 72 is available under the RMD regulations, but it also says the employer does not have to offer that option. So you got to check with your employer, right? Yep. I know that's an interesting area. We don't have to go and I don't even remember all the rules around that one. But then if like, your employer starts it. Is that your mandatory distribution age or whatever too, right? Like there's that whole, there's a whole like weird spot there that, you know, uh, are you accept from it and you get to that, then if somebody inherits it, did you actually start your RMDs or not becomes a whole question there too. Uh, one that I saw recently was, uh, you know, keeping some of these ones about rollover time periods with retirement assets in sight, because I think that's where we ended up here, which is there's a lot of stuff to pay attention to the retitling or rollover of inherited accounts, especially with spouses. Now, we I saw one recently, which was the, you know, they probably would have been better off leaving it in the deceased spouse's name for a period of time, but they had already moved it over and retitled it to their own. And so you can lose some flexibility in those situations, too. So what are you seeing as some of the bigger issues or concerns for the inherited accounts today under the new Secure Act 
rules that are not that new now, but we lost a year in there in 2020, and then we got regs finally, and then proposed regs, and now we got more confusion than ever with some of them. (laughs) Yeah, more confusion. And not only that, when the SECURE Act was signed into law on on December 19, December 20th, 2019, and, 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 and you know, everything became effective like a week later. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> Let's hope they don't do that with the proposed regulations because they didn't give, you know, anyone any time. And even financial institutions, now they have to change their system. But I digress. Before the SECURE Act, beneficiaries had a lot of options, right? There's this whole thing where the stretch IRA strategy, where you could name your one-year-old grandchild and have your IRA stretch forever, mm-hmm. right? So then Congress looked at that and said, that's not retirement planning. That's hoarding your money, right? Let's let's limit the, the period over which distributions can be stretched, which means that now, if you're an advisor, when a client comes in to see you and say, I have an inherited account, I want to find out what my distribution options are. Now you got to ask that client, uh, when did you inherit the account? Meaning, is it before 2020 or after 2019? Because the rules are different. Did you inherit the account from someone who died before their required beginning date or not? Because then the rules are different. And guess what, Jamie? When the SECURE Act was signed into law, there was a provision in there that said, if you are a designated beneficiary, which means you are a person that does not fall into a special category, you have 10 years to take your distribution, right? And almost everyone, including the IRS, interpreted that as, for for the 10-year period, you have an option to choose whether or not you want to take distributions from year one through nine. And then you take the, the, as long as you empty the account by the end of year 10. Now, when the proposed regulations came out, that was still in there, but with a twist. Because mm-hmm. now they're saying, that's true if the owner died before they were supposed to start taking RMDs. But if they died on or after the date they were supposed to start taking RMDs, now we're going to do what is referred to as the RMD combination, where, yeah, the 10-year rule applies, but you have to take an annual RMD. And not only that, in some cases, you're going to have to empty that account in a period that's shorter than 10 years. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so now the question becomes, those people that we have been telling, you don't need to take an RMD, many of them didn't take RMDs for that's 2021. But the good news is that the proposed regulation says, well, you know, if you've been operating as the rules say, then it's very likely that we're going to waive the penalty. And and that leads into what you were talking about earlier about the Form 5329. Yeah, it's, um, you know, that one was, I think, a shock to a lot of people. And the interesting thing is, though, I actually agree with them from the direct reading of the law. I actually do think if you read it, like, I don't think anyone drafted it in the SECURE Act thinking that they would both apply, right? However, as it's written, they do probably both apply, right? <laughs> like, and you're like- I agree with you. <laughs> we agree, we agree, we agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, the, the SECURE Act was written to uh, sort of limit the benefits mm-hmm. that were available to beneficiaries. What made you think that it was going to tack on something that wasn't already available, right? Yeah. And the the existing regulations say that if the IRA owner already started taking RMDs, then the beneficiary has to take RMDs 
at a rate that was at least as fast mm-hmm. as the IRA owner was taking it. Nothing in the Secure Act took that away. Yep. <laughs> Doesn't care how you spin it. Yeah. It was still there. We most people just never saw it. Yeah. <laughs> and it was funny because like, yeah, like I mean, I'm sure somebody thought about it before the regs came up, but like everybody was like, Well, you got to the end of the tenth year. And then uh, there was that one brief period of time where the IRS kind of messed up the example too, and we were like, Wait, are they telling us that we have to take it each year again? Yeah. And then they came back and said, Well, we messed up that time, right? You remember that? <laughs> I, I remember that. I remember that. You know, and, and- Remember we were talking about reasonable cause earlier Mm -hmm. where the IRS will waive the penalty? This is a perfect case of reasonable (laughs) cause because the the taxpayer is going to say, well, even you people didn't get it. Your own people at the IRS was confused by the rules. So that's definitely a reasonable cause of waiving the penalty. Yeah. Uh, I know we've been going for a little bit now. Um, I've got two. I'll try to close out with two more questions. One, you're such a beautiful, amazing storyteller, Denise. So I I feel like if I went through all this and didn't ask, like, do you have a favorite retirement related story that you like telling? Is there something that immediately comes to mind? It's like your favorite one. Yes. Um, A big part of what I do is try to help uh, prevent mistakes with retirement accounts. And where mistakes have been made, I try to fix them. And I had a case with a $5 million account where fortunately it was the financial institution that made the mistake. Now, this was a a beneficiary account too. And once you take a distribution, you can't roll it over. But what they did was shove some form in front of the beneficiary that didn't have the required language. Because when someone takes a distribution, there has to be certain language on that form including the withholding notice. And all they had the client sign was a note, $5 million, and they refused to fix it until they got me involved. Let me tell you, Jamie, I'm generally a nice person. (laughs) You know, everybody likes me. They think I'm quiet, I'm pleasant, I'm bubbly. But if you mess with a client's retirement account, man, and you refuse to fix it, and that upsets me, then you won't like me at the end of it, right? (laughs) Because I'm here for the consumer, man. I was hoping you're going to do the Incredible Hawk one there. You won't like me when I'm angry, right? <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, so the the last question or last kind of part two is, you know, what is the impact that you want to have on the retirement space, right? Like, obviously, you just said, like, you know, helping clients, but just do you have a bigger impact or legacy you want to leave behind in this space? Absolutely. The, the rules are complicated, right? And most of the material that I see that knowledgeable people write are written in legalese, like you and I get it. But what about the consumer? And to that end, I created a a, a dictionary online, retirementdictionary.com. Don't know how I was lucky enough to get that that, um, website. But And so what I do is I add material to that periodically and I break it down so that when the consumer reads it, they get it. And that hopefully will help to prevent mistakes from being made with their retirement accounts. That's wonderful. The last thing here is, uh, have you thought, Denise, about what your own retirement's going to look like one day, right? What does your financially free retirement look like? I don't think I'm going to be able to retire. I don't want to, first of all, you know. Um, I I love uh, the fact that we have technology now where we can work from anywhere. So, um, and with my job, I can work from anywhere. So I'm still going to be working. Sometimes I'm going to be on the beach in Jamaica (laughs) 
or somewhere else, you know? So I'll always be working. I'll be writing, I'll be teaching. Even if I'm not working as hard as I am right now, I'll be doing something. It's always going to be educating, though, educating professionals and the consumer. Yeah, well, that's that's wonderful. Uh, what's your website for best place for people to connect with you? DeniseAppleby.com. I was lucky enough to get my name, too. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I got lucky enough for that one. I've got jamiehopkins.com. So like, nice. yeah, that's Congrats. good. Yeah, that's good. We both have our names. So uh, yeah. that's a starting point. Well, this has been wonderful. And thanks for, you know, in the retirement income space, everything you're doing in the education and the speaking. And yeah, I hope I, I see you again this year at some point. But this was great. Uh, you yes. know, I think we had a really good conversation about communication, the complexity of the rules, rollovers, RMDs, and all the value that you can add if, if you're actually paying attention and getting ahead of some of this out there so this has been really wonderful um so thanks for joining thank you us. i completely enjoyed it and thanks for having me i appreciate it yeah it's a great seeing you so stay safe and healthy and everybody else thanks for listening to this episode of the framework podcast <laughs>